Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, damn. Look at you. Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First, it is the first episode in January, meaning that it is donation time here at Potterless. We donate $1 for every patron that we have over at our team at patreon.com slash Potterless. And at the time of recording, we have 642 patrons, meaning that we are giving $642 to Hope for the Day. Hope for the Day is a charity that through outreach, education, and action is trying to break the silence around mental health because suicide completion rates have surged to a 30-year high. I get a lot of messages saying that Potterless has helped people through tough times, but a funny podcast can't always be enough. So Hope for the Day is a great charity. Their message that they're trying to spread is that it's okay not to be okay. They're raising awareness, support, education, all these other great things. Shout out to listener Lorelai who suggested this charity to us. And if you want to learn more about Hope for the Day and the amazing work that they're doing, you can go to hftd.org. In live show news, grab your weatherproof North Face because Potterless is coming to the Pacific Northwest in winter. I'll be part of the Multitude live shows on January 17th and 18th, and I'll be on two panels at PodCon if you're going to be there. And then February 17th, Potterless will be doing a live show as part of Portland's Listen Up Festival. If you want to get tickets and find out more information about all of these shows, you can go to multitude.productions live. And while you're at multitude.productions, why don't you check out some of the other Multitude shows? There are so many other great podcasts and there's resources if you want to learn how to start your own show. So that is all available at multitude.productions. Also, a few weeks ago, Potterless passed 10 million total downloads, which is ridiculous. I cannot thank all of you enough for listening to the show, for telling your friends and family about the show, for supporting the show on Patreon. It is so much. 10 million downloads is nuts. I cannot believe it. And I'm just excited to see where this podcast can go in the future. And speaking of wonderful things, we have new patrons to welcome to the team. So shout out to Mia Gray, Barry Brooks, Bree Contreras, Laura Gold, A-Pen, Zoe, Lauren Pruner, Andrew Wyant, Andrew Hussey, Ingvild Bolarangan, Anthony Charlier, Warren McKnight, Naaman Loss, Tyler Naki, Eloquoi Vamaki, Sophie Morajam, King Ecclesias, Amy Barnard, Sam Jackson, Gemma Wilds, Haley Edwards, Martin Farrow, Karen M, Sierra Gavin, Kaylee Scott, Lauren Cook, James Andre, Sarah Shetter, and Brody Lowers, a pronunciation correction for Luisa Del Giudice, and I'm sorry if I messed that up again. Shout out to Georgia Davis, Emma Forzelius, Megan Kirby, and Wizard Toaster85, who all upgraded their pledges, and a huge shout out to our newest producer-level patrons, Harper Caldwell, Liz Bigelow, Maria Noah, Brandon Pickens, Vittorio Nicoletta, and Sarah Enslin. They joined the ranks of Leanne, Vicky, Aaron, Erica, Calvin, Sadie, Jesse, Natalie, Deborah, Clow, Alex, Frank, Marchismo, Tori, Samantha, Juan, Jenna, Kieran, Rebecca, Abid, Caitlin, Rosemary, Jill, Marie, Lisa, Ariel, Romina, Kumail, Anthony, Russell, Dustin, Katie, Audra, Indiana, Eleanor, Sydney, Billy, Rossanne, Micah, Andrea, Nikita, Colette, Chrissy, Shrina, Lala, Chelsea, Taylor, Lovekesh, Ali, Cassandra, Roxy, Amelia, Sean, Jeremiah. Maya, Sarah, Jesus, Ben, Rachel, Zachary, Jessica, Natalie, Arna, Brandy, Melody, Kristen, Zach, Elisa, Tiago, Daisy, Jessica, Orchid, Jonathan, Joe, Isabel, Steve, Vivian, Samuel, Victoria, Elena, Takari, Darlene, Drake, James, Haley, Marino, Moster, Hannah, Angelina, Ross, Marie, Peter, Maria, Phineas, Natalie, Hermione, Victoria, Lee, Alex, Brian, Caitlin, Cecily, Raul, Finn, Mosin, Grace, Sammy, Raul, Ingen, Mari, Brianne, Heidi, Alexandra, John, Jen, Sefran, Dusty, Noel, Tao, Hala, Emily, Michael, Robin, Rebecca, Patricia, Jane, Will, Neil, and Can't I Potter? 
who never burn their toast, they always turn the knob to the exact right setting. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to bonus content, exclusive merchandise, director's commentary, you can head to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 59 of Potterless, covering chapters 3 and 4 of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, guest starring Multitude's own Amanda McLaughlin. back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a 26-year-old man reading the Harry Potter series for the very first time. My name is Mike Schubert. I am that 26-year-old man, and I am joined again by my pod mom, Amanda McLaughlin. Amanda, how's it going? I am great. How are you, Shoes? Oh, I'm just dandy. I'm ready to continue our journey through Deathly Hallows, which I have quickly learned is not wasting any time into serious stuff happening because uh, <laughs> they're not kidding around. The Hallows are getting more deathly by the chapter. Yeah. I don't even know what the Deathly Hallows are, but <laughs> I'm getting the vibe that they're going to live up to their name, <laughs> whatever they listen, are. Listen, so last episode, I made you pause before chapter one to talk about the epigraph. Mm-hmm. In this uh, episode, I'm going to make us pause to study the illustration by Mary Grand Prey okay. that opens up chapter three. Which J.K. Rowling says are not canon, but I'm still down to check it out. They are the mental image of Harry Potter I had growing up because I started reading like a hipster before the movies came out. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so let's just look at that image. Tell me if you ever would have predicted that Dudley and Harry would touch body parts uh, voluntarily. That wasn't like Dudley sitting on Harry. It was surprising. Yes. That is basically the big reveal in this chapter is that Dudley has had a redemption arc and shakes Harry's hand. The illustration for those who are listening to the audiobook or ebook is that it's Dudley and Harry who's wearing pajamas inexplicably um, shaking hands in, I guess, the, the front of Privet Drive. But it was just very funny to me because it says the Dursley's departing and it shows Dudley and Harry smiling and shaking hands. And there is like a lot more conflict including the first line of the chapter being oi you than I would have expected from that framing but like again Deathly Hallows shit is different we are not messing around no, the Dursleys not. are actually leaving they are actually having some kind of closure like here we are yeah and this goes back I've complained about this before but specifically I did in the sixth book for the chapter that's called the flight of the prince and then it has a picture of Snape I don't like when the drawings give away plot twists and yeah. this gave away a plot twist which you get to the very end of the chapter three and you learn Dudley actually likes Harry or at least is appreciative of him for saving his life from the Dementor attack. And this would have been way better if I didn't start this chapter knowing, oh, Dudley's going to be nice. Not to dunk on Mary Grand Prix, but... I don't like when the drawings do this. I like when they make you kind of think. It's okay if it's a plot twist that doesn't convey a lot. Like for chapter two, it was Harry looking into the little mirror thing. Right. And that's fine because you can't really infer anything. But you see Harry and Dudley looking happy, shaking hands. You know that they're going to make amends. And that's the, so to speak, reveal of this chapter, which I get is not the most significant thing. The Flight of the Prince one was way more criminal in my eyes. Yeah. But... I just, I don't know. I don't like it. It's not fun. I wanted to kind of have that, oh, wow, when I was reading the whole time, just kind of going, all right, when's Deadly going to be nice? It it wasn't as much fun. Yeah. Well, we do get to start with some good old-fashioned Dursley Burns, where, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Vernon yells, oi, you, at Harry, Mm -hmm. where he is completely nonplussed to hear it because he has been addressed thus for 16 years. Yep. So Harry's beckoned by Vernon in this classic customary way. And just before Harry walks down, he looks at the mirror again and thinks again that he thought that he sees Dumbledore's blue eye in the mirror, but then also has to tell himself, like he did last chapter, no, 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 you're making it up, which clearly Harry wants to talk to Dumbledore, and I've brought this up in the past, 
I don't know if Harry's actually going to go to Hogwarts or not in this book. It's up in the air. I hope he does because I want him to talk to the damn Dumbledore painting. It seems like a very obvious choice. And I'm surprised Harry's not had this thought or realization, even though he saw the painting when he was in McGonagall's now office. Yeah, Harry does not make connections, you know, between things that are very common for wizards and that other wizards might assume that you will do right away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, stuff that we are like, oh, wait, there's this magical thing that could actually help you solve your problem. But yeah, like it also surprised me that they restated this exact plot thing that is like literally opposite the start of this chapter on the other page. Like, yeah, I, I get it. I just mm-hmm. read it. Unlike this podcast, there was not a, a week long break in between the plot twist. It was literally a page. I know. I know. Uh, That's another just little like dispatch from fandom uh-huh. um, is that there have been some fanfics that think really deeply about like how much of a person is captured in a portrait and like what that portrait magic it's is like. strange. They have emotions exactly. because the fat lady cried her eyes out when she found out Dumbledore was dead. Yeah. It's a cool part of, of like the lore of the magic of Harry Potter that is not completely fleshed out in the books. And mm-hmm. like most parts of the magical system uh, is left to the fans to like do interesting stuff with later. Totally. This again is something I would probably ask J.K. Rowling. If I do get an interview with her at any point in my life, I will have the most bonkers questions. She will walk out of that interview so confused because I will not be asking anything of importance. It will be very, very silly things like this. So Harry is asked to sit in front of the Dursleys and this is the first time, one for seven, Petunia is not described as horse-faced. She hey. did it. She's not described as horse-faced. She's graduated to an actual person. Yeah. She's not just like this, hey, Petunia's ugly and we don't like her because the Dursleys are written to dunk on people that J.K. Rowling didn't like, you know, her privet, someone whose name was Privet back from her schooling days. So it's just the constant need to be like, they're fat, they're ugly, Petunia looks like a horse, meh, 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 meh. This is the first time she wasn't described as such. So you did it, Petunia, you did it. So Vernon asks Harry to sit in front of all of them. And the first thing that Vernon says is, it's a lot of claptrap, which brings us to a fan favorite segment of Potterless, British Quandaries with UK correspondent (gasps) Dottie James. Yes! (laughs) And now it is time for British Quandaries with UK correspondent Dottie James. It is always very embarrassing when I have to myself Google the British words because I don't know what they mean, but a claptrap It's just nonsense. It is just nonsensical words said without meaning. Great. That's what a claptrap is. This has been British Quandaries with UK correspondent Dotty James. Wow, look at that. Claptrap. We've learned whether or not people actually say this in the UK. Never actually knew. Amazing. (laughs) So what we learn is that the plan was for the Dursleys to go away to avoid a potential Death Eater attack. And Vernon has been wavering back and forth a lot on this decision. But Vernon has now decided that it's all a bunch of BS and they are going to stay. Vernon says that he thinks it's all a scam for Harry Potter to take over the house. And Harry's like, the house? What house? And Vernon says, this house. And Harry hits him with, are you actually as stupid as you look? Yikes. (laughs) Oh, brutal by Harry Potter there, but very funny. Harry also knows that it's book seven and gives no fucks. Yeah, he's, I don't have time for this. There are more important things to discuss. He then goes on to say, I've already got a house. My godfather left me one. So why would I want this one? All the happy memories? (laughs) 
which is very funny. Harry is getting very good at making fun of the Dursleys. He has to explain to Vernon again, and really to the reader is why this is written this way. He has to explain that he has been told by Harry Potter, Arthur, and Kingsley Shacklebolt that once Harry turns 17, the charm is over, so Voldemort is going to try to attack, and he might want to attack the Dursleys and torture them to try to find out where Harry has gone to. So it's doing it for his protection. The order offers to hide them and protect them. And Vernon asks, what about the ministry? Isn't there uh, some sort of government that you guys have? And Harry says, yes, but they can't be trusted. We think the Death Eaters have infiltrated. Yeah, I just love that Vernon is thinking about house prices when Harry is like, your literal lives are on the line. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There are far more important things at stake than the real estate market. (laughs) So Vernon asks why they can't have Kingsley watch over them. And Harry says, because he's protecting the Muggle Prime Minister, and Vernon says, yeah, he's the best. I want him. (laughs) Harry just goes, well, he's taken. Harry says that Hestia Jones and Daedalus Diggle are more than up to the job. And I'm sorry, this dude's name is Daedalus Diggle? It is. For real? It is. Daedalus Diggle. Ugh, gosh. Not only is it alliteration, but it's an absurd sounding name for (laughs) an absurd wizard, as we soon learn. And Vernon does have a funny line there where he says, if we'd even seen some CVs, (laughs) he just wants the resumes of these people that are going to be looking over him. You also skipped over, in my opinion, the best line of this book so far, which is that uh, the Dursleys had never seen Kingsley with his earring in, where, like, I'm sure it's been revealed before that Kingsley has an earring, but just that Uh little nod to me is like, Kingsley, legend, absolute unit. Like, I love this guy. Mm -hmm. I love Kingsley a lot. He is great. He is, I think, my favorite Order member that is not, you know, one of the kids. So Harry warns Vernon that Voldemort is behind the rampant disappearances and deaths and says that the number of Dementors that exist might be in the thousands because they feed off of fear and despair, which this is terrifying. This, I I can't, where, where do they all live? Where do they go? I'm surprised that there weren't any Dementors in the last book. I know. I'm scared. I assume that it's something about like obviously the the death eaters were involved in like making the dementors breed as Misha Stanton and you uh, famously described yep but it is wild to me that these could just be like out and about as creatures like every other chaotic or dangerous magical creature is put in the forbidden forest or regulated or like you know excoriated like the bog arts like if you find a bog art you get rid of it that's just how it works Mm -hmm. so the fact that like the dementors are just like around making wartime and the most awful time a society could endure even worse is again like raising the freaking stakes here chapter three like it is off and it's a powerful type of evil and a great bad guy accomplice henchman to have if you're Voldemort because it's just as Voldemort becomes more powerful more fear and despair covers the land and then more dementors breed and there's just more and more of them it seems like a beautiful problem to have it's like a sick power-up that just really works in Voldemort's favor yeah (laughs) so Vernon asks what's going to happen with my work what about Dudley's school and this is where Harry shouts at him don't you understand they will torture and kill you like they did my parents and this is a very fun interaction where you've got a 16 year old kid having much more of a grip on the situation than this grown-ass man man and kind of lecturing an adult even though he's you know a snot-nosed teenager but he actually understands it you can't really blame vernon because he's never seen voldemort or had any sort of witness to him and he has to take to heart 
what Harry is saying and he doesn't really respect Harry at all. So I can kind of get it, but you would think that with the way in which people have described Voldemort that Vernon might be more scared than he is and a little less defiant. Well, that's why I'm glad we have Hestia here in the scene as well, because mm-hmm. she is like the actual voice of reason being yes. like, the <laughs> fuck? Like, are these people actually talking to you, Harry Potter, that way? It doesn't particularly land with the Dursleys, but I'm glad that at least Harry, you know, has the satisfaction of hearing somebody validate the fact that like the way the Dursleys treat him is completely at odds with how a person should treat any other person, much less someone who is like the most famous person in wizarding society. Exactly. So when Harry mentions the maybe 1000 Dementors that exist, this really tugs at the heartstrings of Dudley who had a very bad run in with Dementors. And this causes Dudley to say that he wants to go with the order to be safe. And Harry turns to him and says, Dudley, for the first time in your life, you're talking sense. Yep. (laughs) Harry's killing it. I'm really in enjoying Harry this chapter. So then Daedalus and Hestia show up at the door and Daedalus is described as wearing a mauve top hat, which is the way better version of the green bowler. Oh yeah. Mauve top hat is awesome. It's like the complete opposite end of the cool spectrum. It is excellent. So Daedalus is very overzealous about this job. He's ready to go. He's very excited. It gives me the impression that he is either a very new member of the order or he's someone that doesn't get a lot of responsibility. So he's really excited to have See, this I, task. It's kind of like a Gabe from the office situation where he's very excited to be quote, the toilet of Sabre where he like people come to me with their pro and, you know, just being really proud of what seems like a shitty job. I read him as just being very good with people because he is very sweet and enthusiastic and yeah. wants to give the Dursleys a good send off and probably understands the fact that they, you know, like an, regular reasonable person would be uh, you know quite scared about going off into the unknown this way and I I loved his line where he's talking to Vernon made sure that Vernon can drive which as a (laughs) suburbanite Vernon is is flabbergasted that someone asked him that and then Daedalus goes very clever of you sir very clever I personally would be utterly bamboozled by all those buttons and knobs uh, which I just just thought it was so sweet it was so sweet he tries to use it as a way to flatter Vernon but it kind of backfires because Vernon takes it as a justification for not trusting him he mutters to himself but this guy can't even drive. <laughs> Which, Listen, uh, not so being funny. able to drive is queer culture. So <laughs> I, I definitely think that Vernon can take his opinions and shove off. I mean, it's also New York City culture <laughs> where you live. And I live by the time this episode is being released where, you know, you just walk and take the subway. And a lot of people don't have driver's licenses. And you just don't have to worry about it because driving in New York sounds like the worst thing ever. I hope that I never have to do it. Hey, this is Editing Mike. Just a quick editor's note that since recording, I did have to drive in New York, and it was terrible. Not needing to drive is a feature, not a bug. Fight me, Vernon Tersley. Yeah. Oh, public transportation is the best. When I lived in Paris, it was all train everything. And you just walk so much more. I think when I was in Paris, I averaged like six miles a day. Even just, you know, during the week, I would just only be walking to work or stand up or doing whatever I was doing. And then on the weekends, I'd travel and stuff. But when you average that much more walking, oh, you can justify so many more dessert runs because you're like, <laughs> oh, come on. I walked six miles today. I can get ice cream or, you know, I can have this brownie. It's no problem. Whereas now I have days in Seattle where I will walk less than a mile. Like today, I have gotten up, watched the World Cup, made food, 
read four chapters of Harry Potter, recorded two Potterless episodes, then I'm going to cook a big dinner that I'm going to take for lunch the next couple days and probably work on more Potterless because I have the episode coming out Monday. I haven't taken a lot of steps. <laughs> it's good in New York that you get the excuse. It's easier to justify a life as a sedentary nerd, as I am, uh, when at least you have to walk a couple miles uh, to and from uh, work and home uh, every day. Especially if you live in a walk-up like Kelly's in a six floor walk up. So anytime I visit her, it's like, okay, I did my leg workout for the day because I've done, you know, 50 yeah. something lunges, so to that speak. is very real. <laughs> so the plan is for Daedalus and Hestia to get the Dursleys to drive about 10 miles away and then they will disapparate. They're doing this so that there's no sort of tracking of disapparation happening where Harry is because then the Death Eaters might know that things are getting moved into action. Also, this prevents Harry from getting mistakenly arrested for misuse of magic if they think it was Harry that did the charm. And I find it strange at first. My first thought was, is this really something the ministry is going to care about with the war going on? I feel like his justification should not have been, oh, he might be arrested by the ministry. It would have made more sense if he said, well, you know, the Death Eaters might want to attack you. I don't know if he knows this or realizes this or whatever. I just thought it was kind of funny that the big concern is that he's going to get arrested. I really don't think that's going to be on the ministry's mind. So, I mean, I, th I think a few options, like they may have wanted not to alarm Harry. Okay. He may have wanted not to alarm the Dursleys, which True. if they were an average family, they probably would have been like, you know, very worried about their foster yeah. son slash nephew. Um, yeah. I guess the justification of, oh, Harry might get arrested sounds a little bit better than, oh, Satan might murder Harry <laughs> if we do this. Yeah. It might just be like a nicer way to explain the situation, but have severity. We're still working on like wizards are real, magic is dangerous, etc. Yeah. They're at step one. They can't really come to grips with, oh, Harry's life is on the line here. Daedalus tells Harry that the original plan of side apparition with Mad-Eye has changed, and when Mad-Eye comes, he will explain what the new plan is and why they had to abandon the old plan. Vernon says, well, this is goodbye then, boy, and goes in for a handshake, but then can't come to grips with shaking Harry's hand, so he moves his hand away and swings it like a grandfather clock second and just is a, it's a very awkward thing and I don't get why he couldn't even shake the boy's hand. I don't know. It's ridiculous. But Dudley is a lot better than Vernon. Dudley asks Harry why he isn't coming and Vernon says, oh, well, Harry doesn't want to and then turns Harry and goes, you, you don't want to, do you? <laughs> like checking in. Harry replies, not in the slightest, which is great. Dudley asks where Harry is going to go. Vernon says that he will go with some of their lot, which Hestia takes offense to. Oh, their lot? Come on blah, 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 blah. Harry says, no, 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 don't worry about it. It's no big deal. They just think that I'm a waste of space. And Dudley chimes in saying that he doesn't think Harry is a waste of space. And I found it interesting that we are taking all this time to have a redemption arc for Diddykins. But as it went on a little bit farther, I actually found it to be really sweet. At first I was thinking, ah, this is unnecessary. Why are we doing this? But then as it went on a little bit more, I actually really liked it and found it really sweet yeah. and heartfelt. And just how, like, last chapter, you know, it took learning more about Dumbledore for Harry to realize that he never, like, asked Dumbledore a question that didn't relate to his own, you know, mortal peril, mm -hmm. which, you know, is fair enough because the kid was born into a war and it has not stopped. Yeah. But in this case, like, Dudley is also having a growing up moment of realizing, like, oh, okay, other people's internal experience is similar to my own on occasion and asks about Harry's safety um, and Harry's preferences and experiences. So it's 
um, it's a little bit sweet. I found it to be completely sweet, even though, you know, again, as we kind of watch Harry, like do his final walkthrough of the house, we'll be reminded, uh, you know, of all of the traumas <laughs> leveraged against him. Throughout yeah. How bad it was. Yeah. So Dudley goes on to say, you saved my life. And Harry corrects him saying, well, actually, I, I didn't save your life. It was just your soul. It's like, just do just. Just take the compliment, take the nice words. Don't freaking mansplain to him how dementors work. Just awkward <laughs> and not wanting to accept uh. any like credit, which I kind of understand. But he also realizes, um, to his credit, that the cup of cold tea that he stepped on earlier that morning mm-hmm. wasn't actually a booby trap as he thought, but that Dudley might have wanted to, you know, just make him a little more comfortable, which is kind of touching. Yeah, it's a nice gesture, but could have been a lot better. I get that Dudley was shy about it, but, you know, too probably would have helped late. if he knocked on the door yeah. <laughs> and said, hey, I made you tea and not just leave it for Harry to step on. So Petunia is very proud of Dudley for saying thank you. Hestia butts in and says, uh, he never actually said thank you. He just said that he didn't think Harry was a waste of space. And Harry says, yeah, but for Dudley, that's like saying I love you. <laughs> Fair. Is so great. So good. So Dudley then goes over to shake Harry Potter's hand. And Harry says, blimey, did the Dementors blow a new personality into you? And Dudley says, dunno, see ya, Harry. And it's just, aw, I, this is where my heart turned away from stone because I have a natural inclination to despise yeah. Dursley chapters. And while I was reading this, I just thought, oh, come on, do we really need this? But at this interaction, I really liked it and I felt sweet. So I grinched up and my heart grew three sizes. <laughs> so they say goodbye and it seems like Petunia wants to say something to Harry, but then she turns around and doesn't. And that might be the last we ever see of the Dursleys. But that's the end of chapter three. And then we move on to chapter four, The Seven Potters, which my first thought was, uh, n- he's not going to horcrux himself. Thankfully, he doesn't. Hey, yo, pass my chill, because it's time for Wingardium Adridosa. <laughs> Today's episode of Potterless is brought to you by Skillshare. When you're trying to learn a new skill, don't you wish that someone who is really skilled in that skill could share their knowledge about that skill so that you could in turn become skilled? Well, you're in luck because that's what Skillshare does. Skillshare is an online learning community for creators with over 25,000 classes in subjects such as photography and film, technology, business, and more. I just signed up for Skillshare using Skillshare.com slash I'm not exaggerating. It took me 18 and a half seconds and I was already starting a course, which I'm very excited about, called Real Productivity, Create Your Ideal Week, which is hosted by the CEO and founder of Skillshare. How perfect. I really needed this one because now that Potterless is weekly, I really need to be more productive so that I can, you know, sleep and stuff. So this course has been really helpful so far, and I'm really excited to take more and more. Skillshare is great because they have so many classes. You can take them whenever you want since it's online, and you don't have to pay by the class like college was. Wasn't that some bonkers shit that when you went to college, you had to pay by the class? Ridiculous. Absurd. Skillshare doesn't do that. And if you want to save even more money, go to Skillshare.com Potterless, and when you sign up, you get two free months of classes, and you can try out as many classes as you want want. There's so many amazing ones. I am so excited to continue my knowledgeing journey with Skillshare, and I hope you do the same. So again, go to Skillshare.com slash and you'll get two free months of people sharing their skills with you. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally. So if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. 
This episode of Potter List is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are, so it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club, and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want, and then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me, and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is flash Bucks right there. Wow. Anyways, that's a slash club.com slash Potterless for 10% off your first purchase. That's a so wild collect some cards off a $40 slab pack in a more transparent way. That's a really good sports nerd or Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me. You can use Arena Club today. Harry takes his rucksack, his firebolt, and Hedwig and gets ready to leave. He does kind of the tour through the Dursley household, and it's just a laundry list of all the bad stuff that has happened. Yeah, before we get there, though, Harry does have one moment of uh, watching the Dursleys leave in their car down Privet Drive. Mm -hmm. And in my final moment of probably over-textual uh, analysis for this episode, uh, <laughs> we see that the windows burned scarlet for a moment in the now setting sun before the car disappears, by which I mean drives away. It will later disapparate. <laughs> but I thought that that, again, choice of the word scarlet was really resonant. Um, again, the, the cover looks like a sunset in a little bit of a way, which is kind of cool. This mm -hmm. is the sunset of the chapter of Harry's relationship in this way with the Dursleys of his time in this house. Like this is all kind of like things are ending. They are literally riding off into the sunset. Exactly. And I was also reminded though, there of Fox, which, oh, yeah. uh, you know, was always described in very like sunsetty, ruby red, scarlet. Yeah. Um, amber tones. Right. And I don't know, to me, it sort of reminded me that like the only way that Harry could have a functional relationship with his family and his place of origin is to kind of sacrifice what came before. And out of this tragedy, maybe a new bond or a potential for one yeah. is going to be reborn. So we will have, have to see. Yeah, we will. So a bunch of wizards then lift their disillusionment charms and appear. You've got Hagrid on a motorcycle and you've got a bunch of others on brooms and thestrals. So the whole crew that is there is Hermione, Ron, Mad-Eye Moody, Fred and George, Bill, Mr. Weasley, Tonks, Lupin, Fleur, Kingsley, and Mundungus. What I found interesting is that J.K. Rowling gives little description 
chapters of everybody, but only describes their hair. <laughs> so it's like Ron and his orange hair and Bill with his longer hair and Tonks with her bright pink hair and Hagrid with his hair and big beard. I was like, why do we why do we care so much about everybody's hair? Maybe it's priming <laughs> us to see them all be identical, which could be kind of funny. OK, uh, but I don't know, like just kind of looking around at all of them as he takes them into the kitchen was was really sweet. Like it's I think really lovely to see again this house is like completely vacated and it was for the most part a super shitty place to grow up mm -hmm. but now Harry is filled with like friends and allies who are here to like literally put their lives on the line for him which I don't know it's pretty sweet mm -hmm. so one of the first things Harry does is ask Kingsley what about the muggle prime minister and Kingsley says ah he can do one night without me you're more important right after this Tonks flashes her ring at Harry and says hey Harry like check it out uh, and says that they got married sorry you couldn't be there it was a very small and quiet service so I think that that's pretty cute that, that she just kind of busts the news with yeah. no real reason just kind of like hey check it <laughs> then Moody gets into what's going on with this plan so they had to abandon plan A because of Pius so the problem that they face is that with Harry being underage the ministry still has a trace on him so Moody clarifies the protection charm situation saying that once they get far enough out of the house it's going to go away they're doing it early to try to catch the death eaters off guard and they purposely let out a fake trail that they weren't leaving until the 30th so snape was right yaxley was wrong and he fell for the bait but here's my question just because i know that snape is at least on the side of the order I'm very intrigued about Snape's motivations in terms of what he decides to tell Voldemort and the Death Eaters and when he is right and when he tries to lead them astray. And I feel like this is something that I'm confused as to why, if Snape is good, that he gave them the correct thing and didn't just let him take the bait. If Snape's ultimate goal is to kill Voldemort and, you know, have Harry survive. I was very perplexed that Snape would go through the effort of correcting them when really he could have just let it all happen where they fall for this bait and then they can just be like, oh no, we messed up. Yeah, you're supposed to be confused. Okay, good. And like the I mean, I wish I didn't know that he was good in the end. I really, really do because I talked about this in previous episodes, but I think that given the end of six, even if I didn't know Snape was a good guy, I would have thought that he was good just based on Dumbledore saying Severus, Severus, please, when he got killed. So to me, that seems very much like a we've talked about this situation before contingency plan type deal. So if I didn't know Snape was good in the end, when I was reading this and you learn that Snape is going through the effort to make sure they try to attack Harry on the right night, I would have been way more confused and less confident in my decision on whether or not he's evil because this seems like a golden opportunity to kind of let Harry be safe and then you can just throw your hands up in the air and say, oh, we tried. Yeah, I mean, it's the classic like double agent conundrum where you have a, an ultimate goal, but you also have to appear to be willing to like go all the way to make that goal not happen for the other side. Mm -hmm. So the like more substantial, the stuff that Snape does give to Voldemort, the more, uh, you know, presumably believable um, his, his case is going to be, which is why I thought it was so significant that in the first chapter, Yaxley asks Snape, are you confident? Like how you think it's going to go? Like, how's your reception yeah. going to be? Because it seems like airtight, right? Like Snape just killed Dumbledore or mm -hmm. Dumbledore is dead. And in any case, we don't know exactly what Voldemort knows or thinks happened that night sure but yeah it's again stakes are raising like that is the that is the refrain of the first bit of this book yeah so basically what the order has done
done is they've charmed the heck out of everybody's house, so it isn't clear which one they're planning on putting Harry in. Harry is supposed to go to Tonks' parents' house, which, is that really the best choice since she kind of has family ties to Death Eaters? I feel like Kingsley's house would have been a good call. Well, you also have to think about it from a Death Eaters point of view. What is the most obvious house? You know, like to me, when I heard that their ultimate destination was the borough, I was like, oh, fuck, that's a bad choice mm-hmm. because that's yeah, obviously that's where Harry Potter's going to go. Uh-huh. You know, so uh, I think choosing someone who is, you know, kind of on the periphery and maybe even, you know, has ties to the dark side, like that's not an obvious choice for Harry to go to. So from this perspective, like Mad-Eye Moody is good at what he does. And mm-hmm. this whole idea of, you know, using the kind of multiple leads to like send people to multiple places, I think is super smart. Listen, diversification is good in in life it is good in investing and it is good in, you know sneaking harry potter out of private drive and it's also good in terms of human beings voldemort yes exactly so harry brings up the point aren't they going to notice when we all go to the same house and moody reveals no because there will be seven harry potters tonight which <laughs> what <laughs> so moody brings out some what i assume is polyjuice potion they don't actually name it but then eventually they use it in half a dozen egg cupped size glasses which caused me to shout shot 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 <laughs> A very good note. So yeah, arguably not one of the more enjoyable shots, but probably still better than trying to think of like, what's the worst alcohol to get as a shot that people actually do? Because like, do people shoot gin? That sounds, that would be horrible. That sounds very bad. Yeah. Yeah. People shoot fire. um, Fireball. Fireball which sounds like fire whiskey, so maybe that would be it. Yeah, yeah fire, Fireball's fine. It's just like so sugary and gross. It's just like the worst version of some of the other ones like Jack Daniel's Fire or whatever. But yeah, Fireball's, uh, at least it's sugary enough where it's okay. I don't know. Yeah, shooting gin probably would be the last place. Hermione does point out that uh, Harry's polyjuice looks much <laughs> oh, better. We're going to discuss that at length okay. later. I okay. have many questions about that. All right. So Moody brings out this polyjuice potion. Harry's not feeling it. He knows what this plan is going to be, and he is not okay with it. Hermione knew that this would happen, that he would react this way. And Harry says he doesn't want people risking their lives for him. And Ron hits him with a, oh, right, because this is the first time any of us have done that. Fair enough, Ron. <laughs> Which is great. Fred then kills it by saying, quote, well, none of us really fancy it, Harry. Imagine if something went wrong and we were stuck as specky, scrawny gits forever. Harry does not laugh at this. I laughed at this. <laughs> Harry says, well, you can't do it if I don't like it because you need my hair. And George says, well, that's that. Plan scuppered. And this brings us to another edition of <laughs> British Quandaries with UK correspondent Dottie James to see if people actually say the word scuppered. And now it is time for British Quandaries with UK correspondent Dottie James. For something to be scuppered, it means you've been foiled again. Your plans have been ruined. You've lost the opportunity to fulfil what you were going to do. You've been scuppered. Apparently it comes from originally the intention to deliberately sink a ship. But we use it every day in terms of, um, yeah, ruined, foiled. Ah, gosh, darn it, scuppered again. That kind of thing. But a lot less piratey and a lot more English. This has been British Quandaries with UK correspondent Dottie James. And wow, look at that. We learned the answer to the question on everybody's mind. Who knew? So Moody says that they will result to force if they need to because Moody's here and he's got the plan and he's not messing around. 
Moody says that it is the best plan given the circumstances because, quote, even you-know-who can't split himself into seven and then Harry and Hermione catch eyes for a brief moment and then look away from each other, yeah. <laughs> which I think is great. I know, that I know. It is so good. Oh, so amazing. Harry then gives in after Moody yells about it and Ron hits him with a just do it look. So Harry says, okay, fine. Hermione, as you mentioned, notes that Harry's polyjuice potion, after they mix in the hair and stuff, looks much tastier than Crab and Goyle's, which first she says, you look much tastier than Crab and Goyle, which she even blushes and realizes, oh, you know what I mean, and then cites that Goyle's look like boogers. But here's my question. Is this actually how polyjuice potion works? Like, if you are less gross of a person, (laughs) it tastes better? I don't know. They also brewed that when they were 13. Or 12. Yeah. So uh, it they could be. They might have just been bad at exactly, it. Exactly. That despite Hermione's like prowess and all things that she puts her mind to, except for flirting, you know, <laughs> she uh, did not maybe make Polyjuice in the smoothest way that Mad-Eye Moody, who's been doing this shit for a long, long time, has. Yeah. It's like Rowling's whole view of the world is so stark. You know, like people's character is inherent to them and like finds a way out. Like that's the kind of whole premise of the like moral view of these books is like you can tell how a person really is truly down deep inside. And sometimes that is, you know, reflected in their actions. But other times you can tell like they smell bad or their magic is gross or like they're coded. Or in- they're ugly. So exactly. they can't be good at magic, exactly. which I have a problem with. So, I mean, I get it again as, as like a device of children's books initially that, you know, someone's outsides can occasionally betray their insides mm-hmm. or demonstrate them but uh yeah it it made me kind of smile and roll my eyes like uh, oh this is the harry potter that we know you know the harry potter Mm -hmm. set of books um where everybody is alliterative and (laughs) bad people look gross exactly i might lose this lens as we go through the book but for now i'm kind of like oh classic harry classic harry potter (laughs) classic jk yep very classic jk so ron hermione fred george and fleur line up and they're one short of the seven so hagrid just picks up mundungus and puts him in line so then uh such a great moment where fred and george turn to each other and say together wow we're identical which is first hilarious but i found more hilarious when in my brain the situation before this took place was fred and george are getting ready to go and while they're getting ready one of them turns to the other and goes hey you know what's going to be really funny <laughs> when we do the polyjuice thing and we look like Harry. What if we said this and then the other one goes, "Oh fuck yeah, dude, that's hilarious." Nah, man, it's just it's twin synergy. That's how twins work. All <laughs> twins, all over the place, every time. Uh, it's so great. After saying this, Fred one ups it by saying, "I don't know though. I still think I'm better looking." And. <laughs> Fleur then says, Bill, don't look at me. I'm idiots. Which, <laughs> a classic Fleur, to always be concerned with looks and nothing else. I don't know. I kind of like Ron's line the best, which is... Th- I'm, I have a problem with it. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, he, so Ron says, I knew Ginny was lying about the tattoo, which... Ron is roommates with Harry Potter for the past six years, and they've been on the Quidditch team for the past yeah, couple years. He's, he's never seen Harry without his shirt on, or Harry Potter, who tells Ron literally everything at the beginning of the chapters. He tells Ron everything. I feel like if Harry got a big old tattoo of a hippogriff on his chest, he probably would have told Ron Weasley. Ron could have been kidding. It's a I, fun uh, moment. Let them have fun, Tubes. Let them have fun. I do. Uh, it just baffles me because I hoped he was kidding, but it doesn't sound like he was kidding. I can only hope that this is a joke because if it's not, it baffles me and boggles my mind. But listen, it's a fun scene. 
It's a fun idea. Yes, it, it is, is a again, very fun extremely scene. It's a very fun. cinematic in the way that I think that Harry Potter just wanted to see Dan Radcliffe have to do, you know, seven of himself in the same room acting wise. But it, it's, a, it's a good scene in the movies. It's a good scene in the book. And Polyjuice Potion is uh, violent as fuck. Like the, the description of this transformation <laughs> is scary. Features are bubbling and distorting like hot wax um, as Hermione and Fuller's hair shoots backward into their skulls like old timey dolls. You'd be able to like pull their mm-hmm. ponytails and you can make the hair, yeah. you know, retract yep. terrifying stuff of nightmares thank you <laughs> so the plan is for mendungus and moody to pair up and go by broom arthur and fred to pair up and go by broom but there's this great moment when moody calls on fred he goes i'm george you can't even tell us apart when we look like harry and then he goes okay sorry george and then he goes no 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 i'm just pulling your wand i'm actually fred and he's like uh you go with him and then you the other one whoever you are you go with remus by broom <laughs> <laughs> so very fun moment there fred and george so good it's really smart though to diversify again in this way that you know the death eaters probably will expect harry to be on broom because that's his one thing yes so it's it's smart very smart indeed so the rest of the pairings is bill and fleur on a thestral and hermione and kingsley by thestral and then tonks and ron by broom as well then that leaves harry with hagrid which I think is a bit of a bad call because that seems like the obvious choice. Yeah. Like if I was the Death Eaters, that easily would have been my first guess is who are they going to make him fly with? How about the half giant in the motorcycle? Like that seems too obvious to me. Me too. I would have, I'm trying, I tried to think of who I would pick because it's hard because he's close to everyone. I feel like Bill would have been the best call. Yeah. They haven't had a lot of. Because he doesn't actually have that much of a connection. Exactly. Once I read this, I did not have high hopes for this plan, which as we will learn, (laughs) doesn't really go smoothly. So Moody says that they chose this plan, as you mentioned, because they are assuming that Death Eaters will think Harry will be on a broom because he's very good at it, which that makes sense. So this is another part of the plan that I'm not very keen on is Harry takes his stuff, his rucksack, the Hedwig cage, and the firebolt, and kind of shoves them into the sidecar by his feet, which I don't think this is good because I don't imagine this being perfectly hidden. So if any of the Death Eaters see something sticking out of the sidecar, they'll know it's him. And it just seems like it's extra cumbersomeness to have i don't know what better way they can do it i don't know if they can make the stuff teleport or move because didn't they make their stuff like fly to hogwarts on their own accord in the past i just feel like this is a weird element of the plan and we will learn that two of the three things don't survive the journey so i feel like they probably should have done something else here yeah i knew from the obviously i knew because i read it before but the Mm -hmm. serious nostalgia makes it especially a red flag that something is about to go wrong because mm-hmm. we have been thinking fondly of Sirius and Harry doesn't get to have anything nice. No, he does not. So Hagrid says that Arthur tricked out the motorcycle with some gadgets. I'm very hyped to see those in action. And when they are used, they're very fun. Also not a great sign. I mean, yeah, not a great sign, but I knew it was going to make for entertaining effects no matter what, whether they worked well or horribly. In particular of these gadgets though, is a purple button that they don't say what it is, but Arthur mentions that it is not ready and probably should not be used. So uh, I knew that was going to be very fun. I just wrote NOS in my notes. Yep. That's basically (laughs) what it becomes. So they leave and they don't get very far and become surrounded by Death Eaters almost immediately. So the Death Eaters do what they always do, which is they just start shooting Avada Kedavras all over the place because they don't care about anything. And at one point, Hagrid does 
a barrel roll of sorts with the motorcycle. And everything that Harry has put in the sidecar starts to fall out, which I thought this was very dumb. The firebolt just falls all the way down, and Harry is able to grab the rucksack and the cage before they do, though. But doesn't really matter that much because once he grabs the cage, Hedwig is hit with an Nevada Cadavera. Oh, Hedwig. I didn't know that Hedwig dies. I get that people like her. And this is probably a hot take, but like, wh- why, do, why do people like Hedwig? Like, Hedwig didn't really do anything except bite Harry sometimes when he didn't use her for letters and stuff. I've just always imagined Hedwig to be like kind of sassy. And I don't understand why people... I was waiting for some big moment where Hedwig was like really cool and stuff or did something redeemable like Dobby. I, people were very upset when I was anti-Dobby and now I understand why because he's so good. People were also upset when I was anti-Hedwig. But I don't know, what did Hedwig ever do? Yeah, you know, looking back, she was really just Harry's first friend. Okay. Um, and she was also the one like companion and like living creature he had to talk to during the summers um, when he was back at Privet Drive. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, this was part of the like emotional experience of reading Harry Potter a, as a child where like it would be fucking cool to have a bird as a pet. Yeah, Come on, that, awesome. yeah, exactly. I can see from the child perspective and from a pet lover perspective where I can understand the if someone had a pet for six years and then it died thing. But I guess my confusion just lied in that the book we didn't actually ever learn that much about Hedwig except she was there a lot from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, and and I think it was definitely more, um, you know, symbolic and representative than just, you know, her doing cool things, even though I think she did have a very cool personality. She was really Harry's first physical sign that he was actually a wizard. Yeah, You know, like Hagrid brought him a cake. Okay, great. They went into Diagon Alley where he's wearing like shitty clothes. Great. But then like he gets an owl that is just his and like mm-hmm. in a life where like every single thing was a hand-me-down and he was otherwise buying like school books and whatever which are also cool but mm-hmm. like Hedwig was it's different to have a pet was like uh, the first good thing to happen to him ever yeah and I guess it kind of signifies his connection of his childhood where exactly that was something he had from the beginning and it's been his tie the positive tie to Privet Drive and his childhood and stuff like that and now that's kind of gone yeah and especially during the summer she was his only like tie to the outside world mm-hmm. like whether it was you know bringing uh, mail or not bringing mail or like sitting there retreats being like come on, let's go outside, you you know, depressive mess. It definitely, in my opinion, is less like sadness at a character that I like dying, but more my empathy for Harry as he sure. sees this like maybe final death knoll of his childhood yeah. in his, you know, beloved pet going in such a terrible manner. Yeah, you definitely make the good point that when it's the summer and he's at the Dursleys and he can't use magic, that is his only tie to the magical world because he's not allowed to do anything else. So Hedwig, in a way, serves as his beacon of hope and his reminder that, hey, the summer's almost over, you'll be back at school, and she's his connection to friends, whether it's letters, Daily Prophet, etc. So I get it. So yes, I think you're right, is that it's more of being sad for Harry and less Hedwig didn't seem to be anything super important, but I don't know. I guess I understand it more, but I thought that Hedwig was going to have some big thing just based on people's reactions when a couple times earlier in Potterless I mentioned, oh, Hedwig seems really sassy. I don't know that I like Hedwig. <laughs> and not the fun sassy like Ginny and Fred and George. Right. Like that, I'm going to bite your hand because you're using pigwidgeon, which was objectively the smarter thing to do to not get the owls intercepted, Hedwig. So, nah. anyway. Yeah, I uh, I hear you. And this for me, I, I remember exactly like 
what I felt and where I was when I read this portion of the chapter for the first time, <laughs> um, because it was just so it was so shocking to me that like Harry can't have even this. Yeah. And to me, like, again, I know that lots of like bad crap has happened in the book so far mm-hmm. and the Dursleys are gone and Harry is moving. And, you know, we saw Voldemort alone to open the book, like seriously mm-hmm. significant stuff. Um, but this to me was like, oh, man, this this is a war book. And like, here we are. And not everybody is going to make it out. No, they are not. I'm sure that this is going to be the first death of many. And maybe this is kind of setting the stage where before anyone we really care about dies, it's just this little thing of, you know, you kind of care about Hedwig. Get ready. It's almost like a bad appetizer for getting it because I've not read chapter five yet, but the name of it is The Fallen Warrior. So I'm guessing someone didn't survive. And I kind of anticipated that once you see how shit hits the fanny, the plan goes. I was expecting somebody to not make it out alive. I do not know who it is. Uh, I fear that it's one of the twins because they're technically the most cool. Like it's, I hate to say this, but like they seem like the most expendable. Cause like, well, there's two of them, but I'm scared that someone is going to be dead that we actually really care about. And uh, maybe this Hedwig thing is kind of setting up like, Hey, get ready. This book is serious and it is a war book. There's going to be a bunch of deaths. I'm assuming people that we've known since day one are gonna die. And that, is going to be hard, so we'll see who it ends up being. But moving on, four Death Eaters pursue Hagrid and Harry once everybody kind of splits up. Hagrid hits a green button on the motorcycle and a literal brick wall comes out of the exhaust pipe, which I think is funny. One of the four Death Eaters gets hit and another one goes to make sure that they don't plummet to their death. Hagrid then continues to drive, but the other Death Eaters catch up, even the one that went to help this other guy. So then Hagrid hits another button, which a net flies out, but they were ready for something to come out of the rear, so they all dodge. Then Hagrid hits this purple button, which we are not sure about, and we learn that it's the NOS button. Some dragon fire comes out of the back, which first off could harm them, but then also just projects the motorcycle much faster and they quickly kind of escape in a little bit of hyperspeed, so to speak. The sidecar, though, starts to break away structurally and Hagrid's like, oh, I'll fix it. And Harry goes, no, 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 because Hagrid is not always the best with magic. He's using, you know, his broken wand and the umbrella, so it's not perfect. And Hagrid tries to use Reparo, but whatever happens with the spell, it makes the sidecar just pop clear off of the motorcycle. So Harry seems like he's going to just start falling to his death, but in the ultimate callback, uses Wingardium Liviosa, which I don't think has been used since that lesson, right? You would know better than me because I have not read <laughs> all of the books this as recently as you have. But yeah, that's awesome. I was thinking later in the chapter, like, I can't believe that Expelliarmus plays such a role in combat here. Yeah. You know, like, it's such a first-year spell, but sometimes you got to go back to basics. And for Harry, it's Reparo, Wingardium Leviosa, and Expelliarmus. Mm-hmm. And then all of just his various stunning charms. But, I mean, Expelliarmus is a good one because, especially if you're flying, it's not like they're on the ground or something where you can try to chase after your wand and pick it up. If you're flying, and you drop it, you got to dive bomb to catch it or just keep moving and not have a wand. So I think it's a good choice. But I'll get into the Expelliarmus thing because I'm unsure if that is what gives him away, so to speak, but we'll cover that in a second. Yeah, sec. I don't know either. So Harry uses Wingardium Leviosa to kind of keep himself floating. The three Death Eaters then start to approach Harry. He hits one of them, the middle one with Impedimenta, and 
just as the other two kind of swerve out of the way so they don't get hit by this frozen body, Hagrid grabs Harry out of the sidecar, which had started to descend, and throws him onto the back of the seat of the motorcycle. So Harry is facing back to back with Hagrid and just throwing stunning spells all over the place. And when he throws one of them, it whizzes by one of the hooded Death Eaters, but by the light of it, he can see that it's Stan Shunpike. And I am sticking with my theory from before that Stan Shunpike is Draco using Polyjuice Potion because if Draco does stuff, they don't want to see that a kid who's supposed to be a student at Hogwarts is a full-fledged Death Eater. This is still my guess. But the question here is, is this actually Stan? Because if it is, that means they would have had to get him out of the ministry because the ministry had him in Azkaban because they made that arrest for him. But we've gotten the vibe from Harry asking Scrimger about it. It seems like it's a false arrest that they did just to try to save face. So it's a weird situation. I'm sure we'll learn about it very soon, but I'm sticking to my guns that I think it's Malfoy's disguise so that people don't say, hey, why is this student a Death Eater? Well, the only clue we get is the description of Stan's face as strangely blank, Mm. which is all Harry can make out before he tries to use Expelliarmus again and hears someone yell ominously, that's him, it's him, it's the real one. Yeah, so that was my question because Harry thinks, how did they know, how did they know? But was it because he used Expelliarmus? I guess if we're going with my theory that this is actually Draco, I guess it would make sense because Harry uses it a lot, but shouldn't it be a spell that everybody uses a lot it seems like a good spell i don't know the other options in my opinion are like one it was a real owl compared to other ones that were fake like if they saw um, it looks like hedwig was bloodied so like they they could theoretically have seen that it was actually hedwig though i think that oh did oh did everybody else have a have a rucksack and a firebolt and an owl with them oh okay i missed that owl in a cage Uh, Um, okay okay, that is possible and also just Hagrid yelling Harry like Hagrid yeah, could by the have had a really good cover apparently but you know <laughs> it seemed to me like it's it's very genuine so we don't know and it is scary could it possibly be some sort of like legilimency situation I think at this point we are familiar enough with legilimency that Harry would have like described some kind of prickling okay. in his mind you sure know? yeah that's that my feeling but you know like, like it's a possibility it's it's not it's not impossible mm-hmm. okay cool yeah so we'll have to see later so Harry tells Hagrid to do the dragon fire thing again and they do it and it seems to have worked but in the brief time when Harry thinks that it has worked, he thinks again, how did Stan know? And just as he's having this thought, uh, Voldemort shows up. And in the most intimidating move possible, he's not on a broom. He's not on a Thestral. He's not on a flying motorcycle. He's just floating in the air, which sounds terrifying. It is fucking terrifying. He is just floating as high as they are in the sky, which, ugh. I'm very excited to see how the movie did this because reading this, it was just the crazy action scene description of what goes down. Yeah. But basically, Hagrid dies. Harry starts shooting stuns all over the place. The motorbike gets hit at one point. A Death Eater is just about to attack Harry, but then Hagrid jumps out of the motorcycle onto the broom, and then they start to descend because there's too much weight for the broom to hold both of them up. And then Harry hears of Atticadavra, which I'm assuming comes from Voldemort because he wouldn't want any of the Death Eaters to do it. And Harry closes his eyes. His wand moves on his own accord and spurts out golden fire. So I don't know what this could be or how this works or if it was just him being instinctual or if it's actually some sort of like divine power or something that is making him do this. 
Um, you know, Amanda I'm is rocking back and like forth. I'm just smiling like a maniac over here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. We don't know. Okay. After this, Harry opens his half-closed eyes and realizes he's right near the dragon button. So he hits it with his non-wand hand. And this is described, by the way, as Harry found his nose an inch from the dragon fire button. I really mm-hmm. thought he was going to lean forward and boop, and boop the button it? with his yeah. nose. Which would have <laughs> been too. fucking legendary. Oh, that would have been so good. Give me a little boop of dragon fire, babe. Come on. Oh, it'd be so... Oh, it would have been so adorable. Unfortunately, he uses his non-wand hand to punch the button, and he breaks away from Voldemort and whatever Death Eater is still there. He is then falling to the ground and tries to do Accio Hagrid, which, of course, does nothing. Hilarious. So pure. Uh, yeah, it's great. I thought Accio Horcrux was the best that we'd ever heard. Oh, that was but so I think Accio Hagrid has to be even better. <laughs> yeah, because at least Accio Horcrux kind of worked. And Dumbledore let him do it just to prove a point. But I think Agio Hagrid is a great, why not? I'm trying to, it's like when, uh, it's like when you're playing a video game and you do something dumb that you know shouldn't work, but you give it a shot anyway. Can I jump through this? <laughs> you just try it knowing it's probably not going to work, but maybe. Uh, or like if you're playing Scrabble or Words with Friends specifically, and you can just try word when you have like a little two letter connector thing, like maybe QO is a word <laughs> <laughs> and then it's not. But QI is. Shout out to Chi for being the most important word in my words with friends career, which lasted from my freshman year of college to my sophomore year in college. <laughs> what a throwback. Oh, so good. Pre vine tubes was words with friends tubes. Yeah, pretty much because vine kind of became a thing my sophomore year. So yeah, that was, that was pre Harry tries Accio Hagrid does not work worth a shot. Can't blame him. But then he hears Voldemort say to a death eater, your wand Selwyn, give me your wand. We haven't heard of Selwyn before, right? This is the first name no, drop. We have not. Okay. It was not a name I recognized. And Voldemort is right there, like right by Harry, but then he vanishes and Harry realizes he's getting close to hitting the ground. He sees Hagrid spread Eagle on the ground and Harry does not have enough time to pull up on the motorbike to get it to float. So he just has enough time to kind of swerve it away from Hagrid and then it crashes into a pond. And that is the end of this scenario fight situation thing and the end of the chapter. Was there anything I missed? Is there anything I misconstrued? I feel like there's so many things happening and I wanted an explanation, but I didn't know if it was just they will explain it in the next chapter or what. But a lot is happening. A lot is happening. The only thing I heard was um, when we were discussing why Harry had to leave Privet Drive now, there are kind of two things going on. One is the trace and then one is the like protection that Harry has on him. Um, Mm -hmm. So the trace is the ministry of magic's trace on all underage users of magic Uh that won't be expiring for four days until he turns 17. But also the kind of like range that Moody talked about is like, Oh, once we're out of range means once Harry is far enough away from Privet drive that his mom's Mm -hmm. like place of residence protection, you know, is going to be wearing off. So the trace is still on him. If, if, and when he uses all of this magic, obviously he is in the wind and the ministry's alarms are presumably going off. But at this point, again, they, it doesn't matter if he's arrested, but we suppose that they were worried about someone at the ministry, like being able to like operate right next to him, you know, and like mm-hmm. know where Harry is. Yeah. So in this case, both are kind of moot and Harry is in the wind with Hagrid lying below him, sadly and ironically, just like Dumbledore was at the end of mm. book six. Uh, yes. Now here's a thought I just had. If they knew that the Jerseys were going to have to move, what if at the beginning of the summer, 
before Harry goes back, the Dursleys have moved into a mobile home. <laughs> and then that is established that this is the home and that's where the blood is and it's okay. And then Harry spends an entire summer in a mobile home and then they just drive him to someone else's house and then all he has to do is walk from one to the other. Why didn't they do this? Well, somebody also earlier or in chapter three mentioned the sort of intent where they were like, okay, so the Dursleys are leaving, right? For the last time, right? And you don't intend to go have oh, to it again, okay. right? So that made me kind of put a little question mark in the margin because like, what does intent have to do with it? Like, wh- like we don't know. Obviously, there's a lot of like intention, emotion wrapped up in magic, especially in like huge protections like lilies. Mm-hmm. But it just made me laugh. Like, how do people know if it matters like how you know how do you draw the line it's it's almost like saying you know like intent is nine tenths of the law or whatever or possession is nine tenths uh-huh. of the, i don't know what, what the thing is but yeah, it yeah. just brings to mind for me how squishy and non-defined all of this stuff really is yeah so especially where like again like we are in the book where like prophecies will be true or not you know horcruxes will be destroyed or not mm-hmm. hallows whatever those are like we'll learn <laughs> they will be what that mythos is all about <laughs> And this is the point where, like, all of the world building that Rowling has done or not over the last six books, like, <laughs> we know the rules that we're playing by. You know what I mean? And, like, mm-hmm. this is the book where we finally figure out if A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Like, if, if yeah, two plus two equals C squared. where all of the like, building comes together. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and so this is where we're at. Yeah. There's one thing that I don't know if I'm looking forward to it or not, because Johnny, who was on the episodes before yours at the end of the sixth book mentions that apparently somewhere in the seventh book, there is some sort of thing that is very, very minor. And he said that there's two of them in close succession to each other. It's like very, very minor. And it's this technicality kind of like a uh, thing. And he (laughs) is predicting that I am going to be absolutely furious about it. And he's predicted that everyone listening knows what I'm talking about. So I don't know if that makes you think of a particular thing, but just kind of speaking of trying to think about intent and world building and things coming together that J.K. Rowling has laid the foundation for and then seeing whether or not it comes together and works. I fear slash am excited to see what it is just because I do know that some of the fun elements of Potterless are me getting upset about stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. I feel like I didn't give you enough room to be your sassy and upset self. No, I mean, there's not that much going on in these chapters that make me sassy and upset. As you can see, there is no Quidditch. (laughs) I mean, the Firebolt dies in this chapter. How am I supposed to be <laughs> apparently the weight limit of a broom is less than one Hagrid so that's yeah. <laughs> or it's it's at least it's just Hagrid plus a person so it might that's be true. equal that's to true. one Hagrid the that's weight true. limit is not enough for a Hagrid and another person do you think tandem brooms are a thing like tandem oh, bicycles uh, they should be oh my do you think how there cute are, like baby seats on brooms or is it just like the oh chest my carrier? goodness Oh, wow. This is a whole new world of possibilities. We know there are toddler brooms that have little like levitation (gasps) charms and cushions to keep them from falling. But that really is like, what do couples do? Do children's brooms have uh, training wheels where they have tiny little things of straw like on the side of the back of the straw? So they're coming out. Very close. They have little like levitation charms where the kids can't fall off. Oh, 
Okay, well, that's yeah. cute. I hope they physically manifest themselves in tiny little straw parts that stick out on the side. I know. Side. I think, I think that would be very, like, a little manger. Adorable. In my headcanon, that's how they are. But, yeah, so that is the end of this chapter. And that's the end of this episode of Potterless. I am very scared about the next one being that someone that we like is dead. We'll see. But, Amanda, how do you feel about chapters three and four from the seventh book? Yeah, uh, like I said earlier, I, I remember, like, how I felt and how I was laying when I first read this <laughs> chapter um, in what would have been my freshman year of high school. Mm-hmm. It was such a oh, man like Harry had been younger than me for all of the books so far, but we oh, right. are the same yeah. age in the book when it was published almost, I guess, I guess I was, you know, 15 and he was turning 17, but we were very close and closer than we'd been. I don't know. For for me, it was such a moment of like, damn, like, I don't know how I would react in previous books and chapters. It's like, Harry's such an idiot. I would have done this so much better, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. But here, you know, there is like, there is combat, there is loss, there is like jumping into the unknown. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, uh, it is all going to hit off after this, including the sort of like the formula is gone. Like Mm -hmm. we were in private drive briefly. We have left like all bets are off. We're not on the Hogwarts express right now. And so it's, it's just so, it's so cool to me that like here in the seventh book, you know, you picture like, I don't know, I'm just looking at my bookshelf now with all seven of the books next to each other. And the fact that we're like inching through the final one in that volume mm-hmm. and already things are so far off the rails. It's, um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a very cool and like emotional thing to consider yeah. as we, again, uh, sort of set off on this final, this final journey um, of the series. Yeah. Four chapters in, we are in a very different place than any other book has been. And it's kind of breaking down all of the norms aside from having a Dursley chapter. It kind of is breaking down all the norms of what usually happens. We've gotten two instances of Voldemort already. Usually we only get Voldemort in the very end of the book or briefly. We've already had two of them and we've gotten the Voldemort perspective chapter where it's not narrated by Harry and then we have Voldemort somewhat trying to attack Harry but not necessarily being successful. So that's different. I do not know if Harry is actually going to go to school this year, which is very different. And even what was going to be set up as you go through the sixth book, when you read the Horcrux chapter, at least what I expected, the foundation is that, okay, so the next book, seven, is going to be Harry and Dumbledore going together and having these kind of meetings where Dumbledore theorizes on what the Horcrux is, and then they go to find the Horcrux, and then they get the Horcrux, and they destroy it, and they'll do that four times, and that'll be the book. Well, with Dumbledore gone, even the one type of thing that we thought was going to be the key or the hint as to what the structure of the book will be and how the story is formatted, even that is gone. So I'm in a very interesting place where four chapters in, things are very different, and I have no freaking clue how the story is going to go, where it is going to go, how it's going to be told, all these other things. I'm very excited. Yeah, and neither does Harry, right? Like nope, this is also the first all. time he is leaving Privet Drive, not for somewhere to to chill before the Hogwarts Express. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm just like the way I experience books is so like empathetic and drawn to the character. So that is definitely something to keep in mind here as well. It's like just as we don't know what's next and we feel, you know, unmoored without the structure that we're used to, so does Harry. And like he also pictured himself, you know, can't hunt down Horcrux as being a badass with Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now he's sort of like, there's so many moments where at the end of Half-Blood Prince, yeah. like people are sort of looking around for answers and they're like, oh, Dumbledore isn't here. Like, what do we then do? And so we're going to see Harry try and fail and succeed and, you know, who knows what, but but try to kind of fill those shoes and 
it's like a moment in video games where like you realize that the world is open or you realize that the map is bigger than you thought it was. Yeah. Um, and, and this is that for me is like, you thought you were on a train track, but mm-hmm. not only is your train car now off of the tracks, like you look back where the tracks aren't there anymore and Oh wait, <laughs> I'm falling. Like there's no train car under me. Yeah. So this is, this is where we're at. And I think it's a pretty cool place to, um, you know, to, to leave you for the rest of your journey. Yeah. Oh man. I am very excited. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for being on these episodes. I'm glad that my choice to have you at the very beginning of seven uh, worked out. Uh, I've, <laughs> I always talk about how the, it seems like the stars align when I pick the guests for the chapters, but I had an inkling that having you for the very beginning of seven would make a lot of sense. So you can be my primer into <laughs> into this book, because in a lot of ways, I feel like you were a primer for me into the series since you were a guest Aww. so early on back. So it's good to have you back. I hope people enjoyed these episodes. I'm sure they did. And yeah, I'm excited. So thanks for joining listeners. Thanks for listening. Is there anything in particular you'd like to, to mention? Last time you mentioned my podcast. How about you talk about one of yours and stop being so selfless all the time? Uh, yeah, thank you. If uh, people are eagerly awaiting next week's episode of Potterless and they cannot believe that they waited two weeks for episodes, much less one week for episodes, <laughs> I have good news for you, which is that there's over 90 episodes of spirits that you can download mm-hmm. and binge where if, if you like you know me thinking way too hard about minor details in a children's book, <laughs> you're going to love me thinking way too hard about mythology and folklore and urban <laughs> legends with my best friend. So that podcast is called Spirits, and uh, I think you guys would, would super enjoy that as well as join the party which is a story which is like 32 chapters and counting that i tell with uh, my friends all of whom have been on potterless before but we tell the story of some unlikely heroes figuring out the world around them watching the like world map of the video game unfold Um, it is beautiful and lovely Mm -hmm. and there are many many hours of it to binge in between your uh, potterless eps so let's join the party and spirits so check it out yeah and i've been on both of those as well so if you like me you can find the ones that I'm in there as well. But yeah, uh, those are both wonderful. (laughs) No, they're absolutely wonderful podcasts. I cannot recommend them enough. I'm very glad that they are in our little multitude fan because they're very enjoyable to listen to. So Amanda, thanks for being on. Listeners, thanks for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, before they hit their dragon NOS buttons on their motorcycles, wizard on! If weekly Potterless still isn't enough to scratch your Harry Potter itch, why don't you check out our Potterless fancy private Facebook group? If you go to facebook.com slash Potterless and go to groups, you'll find it. And there's so many great discussions and people sharing pictures of violently purple things or crenellated ramparts. It's fantastic. So again, if you go to facebook.com slash Potterless, you'll find it there. Potterless is created by Mike Schubert. It is hosted by Mike Schubert. It is edited by Mike Schubert. It is produced by Mike Schubert, as well as Leanne Davis, Vicky Garcia, Aaron Johnson, Erica and Calvin Bauer, Sadie Baird, Jesse Horgan, Natalie Klobuchar, Deborah Wilkins, Klaus Serlopu, Alex Stark, Rebecca Adamick, Frank Chiodo, Marchismo, Tori Larsic, Samantha Rose, Juan Sanfilio, Jenna Dowsett, Kieran Webb, Abita Med, Caitlin Jordan, Pontilla, Rosemary Dodge, Jill Boulay, Marie Lisa C. Keen, Ariel Bird, Romina Rivadanera, Camille Doc, Anthony Bonarigo, Russell Dunk, Dustin Molin Cooch, Katie Rogers, Audra Indiana Mercer, Eleanor Curlin, Sidney Cawthorn, Billy Hinton, Rossane Batamana, Mike Cole, Andrea Franz, Nikita Power, Colette Smith, Chrissy Hutton, Trini. Nadcat, Lola Palmer, Chelsea Green, Taylor Armstead, Love Cash Longer, Ali Madsen, Cassandra Aponte, Roxy Chaos, Emilia Krauss, Sean Montag, Jeremiah E. Hurd, Sarah Nink, Jesus J. Morales, Ben Silver, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Pulido, Jessica Ann, Natalie Jung, Arnold.
Arnogood, the daughter Brandy Baldonado, Melody McGinnis, Kristen Chavez, Zach Ross, Klein, Elisa Figueroa, Diego Costa, Daisy Carrot and Sutter, Jessica Jacob, Orchid Grower, Jonathan Fua, Joe Harrison, Isabel, Steve Trelor, Vivian Santos, Samuel Minor, Victoria Renee, Elena, Takaria Ronter, Leon Ruiz, Drake Perez, James Stepp, Healy Hastings, Marino, Moster, Hannah Shepard, Angelina Withred, Ross Marie Heisa, Peter Bemis, Maria Vega, Phineas Ebner, Natalie Lozano, Hermione Hoff, Victoria Julian Lee, Ganji Singh, Alex Bisholta, Brian Williams, Caitlin Sullivan, Cecily Togball, Raul Avila, Finn Stucky, Mosin, Sidiqui, Grace, Riggle, Sammy Crazy, Raul, Pineda, Ingan Odds, Daughter, Mary Wynn, Brian Wingate, Heidi Stoll, Alexandra Consulver, John Kotker, Jen and Juice, Seferin Baez, Dusty Nickerum, Noel Basile, Tao, Hala O'Keefe, Emily Tyrell, Michael Russell, Robin Fernandez, Rebecca Shumway, Patricia Colon, Aaron Rapp, Jane Lance, Will Barrington, Neil Fournier, Harper Caldwell, Liz Bigelow, Maria Noah, Brandon Pickens, Vittorio Nicoletta, Sarah Enslin, and Can't I Potter? Web designed by Kelly Beckman, and the music is by Bettina Campomanis. If you want to find us on social media, you can go to Facebook.com slash Potterless, Twitter.com slash Potterless Pod, and Instagram.com slash Potterless Podcast, or Reddit.com slash R slash Potterless. For more information on the show, you can go to PotterlessPodcast.com, and for bonus content, you can go to Patreon.com slash Potterless. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, a wizard on! Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. America. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity. And the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.